Welcome to the Village Chapel audio podcast. The Village Chapel is a non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee that focuses on a verse-by-verse study of the Bible. If you'd like a copy of the sermon notes that accompany this podcast, you can download a PDF version by visiting our website at www.podcast.thevillagechapel.com. We're glad to have you with us. May the Lord richly bless you as you join us for this study. And now, here's Pastor Jim Thomas. We study three books of the Bible here at the Village Chapel. We've got extra copies. If you didn't bring one, you'd like one to follow along, which I highly recommend, just raise your hand up and somebody will drop one off at your row, your aisle. This is John's Gospel. Um, this is the fourth book of the New Testament. We have the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have John's Gospel, a little more of an individualistic th- uh, approach. He, um, he has several of these conversations at length. Jesus uh, is presented as speaking with an individual multiple times. There are just uh, seven of the miracles presented. There are seven I am statements. And uh, here today, we're going to just take a peek at the rest of chapter three, if you want to turn there. And uh, as you're doing that, I'll throw the, the overall sort of master plan that John has for his gospel up on the screen. We like to read this every now and then to remind ourselves. We're not left in the dark as to what his intention is when he wrote this. He actually tells us what his purpose was and what his intention was. And so if you'll just read that aloud with me, we'll kind of get it stuck into our heads and our hearts a little bit more. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So he's real clear. He's real upfront. He's not trying to hide anything. It's not manipulative. It's very clear. Um, he's not you know, trying to sort of spin it a certain way. He's just real upfront about his purpose and his intent. wants you to know that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. We've said that many times. It's his title. It's the New Testament version of Messiah in the Old Testament. And so it's, it's God's anointed one. He's the one come to bring us salvation. And John wants to make sure we know that Jesus is that person, the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's not one among many. He's not the best among many. He's completely different than anybody else because he's actually a unique person and a a unique being. He's the Son of God. And John's even got a goal for you and for me as we read it. It's that we might have life in his name. He really wants you to have life. He wants me to have life in his name, whatever that looks like, which is what we'll be exploring as we go through John's gospel. What does it look like to have life in his name, to have life in the name of Christ? And how is that different from any other religion? How is that different from any other worldview? Uh, there are a lot of worldviews around. They're, they're everywhere, and, and you could you pick one, you know? You, you, could, you could believe this one week, that another week, this another week, this another week. We seek to persuade you here at the Village Chapel that the gospel is true, that it's not just a fairy book, not just a fantasy book. It's not one of, that Jesus isn't one of many choices you have, but he's actually completely unique and different, and he's worthy of your trust. And so we'll see some of that as we go through this uh, particular passage here. 
today. We already know that John, the apostle who's writing this, has said that he, uh, as he quoted John the Baptist, he said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Now, we're going to pick up a little bit more of both John the Baptist and John the apostle's view of who Jesus is. Turn with me to chapter 3 or swipe there on your device. Look at verse 22 and following. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. There he was spending time with them and baptized. So this is the land of Judea is the southern third of Israel. Anybody that's ever been over there before? Um, basically, when the New Testament or even the Old Testament speaks of Israel, we have three sections of Israel. The bottom, the southern tier is Judea. The middle is Samaria. And the northern tier is called Galilee. Jesus will do a lot of ministry in Galilee. But for this particular occasion, he's going to be down in Judea. That's the southern third. That's where a bunch of the wilderness is. That's where Jerusalem is. And, and John the Baptist is baptizing people out in the wilderness down by the Jordan River that runs north and south, runs into the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee, down south to the Dead Sea, and then it stops in the Dead Sea. That's why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea, because the water comes in, but it never goes out. A great metaphor for what Jesus said real life is all about. If everything's always coming in and nothing's ever going out, that's not like life. It's not like real life at all. Real living, Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you've got to give it away. You always have to be giving it away. And Jesus taught that as well. And that Jordan River and those, those two, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, really uh, sort of illustrate that even. John was baptizing in Anan near Salim, verse 23 says, because there was much water there and they were coming and they were being baptized and John had not yet been thrown in prison. So we understand that John the Baptist will be thrown in prison. We've studied that in the other gospel accounts. He will um, expose the sin of Herod, the, one of, who's one of the kings, Herod Antipas. And he stole, Herod did, he stole his brother's wife, his brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist will say something publicly about that, and it'll get him in trouble. He'll get thrown in prison. He'll eventually lose his head. His head will come off. And it's just never safe to scold an Eastern despot, evidently, and you know, kind of get that point, you know. But at the same time, in God's providence, John the Baptist was there to do a job. His job was to announce the arrival of Messiah, to point him out, and he does do that when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now here he's baptizing with some of his followers, and they're in this area near Salim because there was much water there. This is one of those occasions where people in the modern-day church who do water baptism, and, and, and they'll say, well, that's, that's kind of why we immerse people, because we need much water, okay? And I know some of you come from different streams of the church. Some of you have probably weren't in the church when you grew up. But there are different ways that, that people baptize. We all, I think, on understand that. There are some, some streams of the church uh, that sprinkle, you know, and they'll sprinkle babies or they'll sprinkle adults, you know, just, so it's a sprinkle thing. And, and the, the folks that, that immerse or dunk, as, as we do here at the Village Chapel, we dunk people. Um, sometimes they'll point to this verse saying it takes much water, and, and with, with some sinners it takes even more than much water, you know what I mean? And, you, and, and so we jokingly say, and we hold them down longer, you know. Now tomorrow night, a uh, great opportunity if you would like to uh, come and be a witness to, uh, we're going to baptize about a half a dozen people over at the other campus. I'm so excited. I love our water baptism services because they truly are a celebration. 
And we don't think it matters much how much water you use. It's, 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 it's an outward uh, sort of expression of an inward reality. Um, that, that we are, you know, when we dunk, it, it's sort of a very physical representation of how we're united with Christ in his death and his burial. And so we go down into the water. And then if, if we have good fortune and the pastor is strong, uh, you come back up out of the water and you're united with Christ in his resurrection. And you come up in newness of life. And for the most sake, I, for, for, on the most part, I've, I've gotten everybody back up out of the water. I think we've only lost one or two. But um, so come and, and be a part of be a part of that. That's a great invitation. Isn't it? Yeah. Love to have you come though and be a witness of it. It's great. It's a, it's a wonderful, uh, like I say, symbol of new life in Christ. Uh, as we talked about last week, uh, when Nicodemus came and confronted Jesus, what's this about being born again, this being born from above? What's that all about? And so, we'll, we'll, we, you know, he, he's, th- this thing of baptism is tied to repentance when, when it's with John the Baptist. But Jesus, will come, he comes, he's sort of the pivot point on all of this. And so now when we baptize, it's about having new life in Christ. There arose, though, a discussion, verse 25 says, on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. They came to John, and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. There's a little jealousy on display here, isn't there? John the Baptist had his own disciples. His own disciples noticed that the, fl- the, the crowds were, were going over to Jesus now. And so John the Baptist's disciples are a little perturbed about that. They're a little jealous about that. And they kind of come to, uh, you know, they come to John uh, um, and they say to John the Baptist, hey, look what's going on. That guy Jesus you pointed to, he's baptizing me. Everybody's leaving us and going to him. They're a little upset. It's kind of like what happens today with, with churches that sort of, you know, think of people as turf, you know. Um, you know, and, and they, get, they get nutty about numbers sometimes. We think numbers are, are a sign of vitality, but not the only sign of vitality. When we first started this church, uh, we started with 12 or so people. And, and I remember when we reached about 20 or 30, Matt Pearson, one of the guys that's on the church council, came to me and said, man, I love the sweetness of this small church. Is it okay if I pray that we don't grow? And I remember saying to him, oh, this is kind of defeating the purpose of the whole deal. We're supposed to be preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, making disciples, you know, connecting people with the living God, the whole thing, you know, and, and, and which is what they were created for. And so we're, we're supposed to see numeric growth at some point, you know, and, uh, and Matt was like, okay, you know, he's still with us. He's, he's our campus host over at TVC East, but numbers have always, haven't always been a, a big deal. Matter of fact, we, there have been occasions where, you know, to be honest with you, as, as a pastor, sometimes you find yourself going, you know, those people in the fifth row back there, I'm kind of be okay if they decide to move on to another church, you know, and I'm not talking about anybody in this room at all. It's not you guys. It's, it's people from the other worship service. It's some of them, but nobody that's watching online, we're, we love you. We're so glad you're with us, mom, especially. And, uh, and, uh, all, no, it's, it's, you do sometimes when you're in church work, sometimes you find those people that just want to argue like these disciples of John, they get all crazy about the fact that people are going over to that church. And I got to be honest, my view is, man, praise the Lord. Honestly, I mean this. I'm just glad people are going anywhere. And, and that they're becoming a part of a community, and not just watching the show, but becoming a part of the community and learning to love each other well, and then learning to reach out in the love of God to the hurting world around us, man. I, mean, I don't know if, if you sense it, but there's a lot of hurt in this world, man. There's a lot of darkness in this world. We need a drink of the living water, man. 
We need to be drinking from that well on an ongoing basis. And not only that, we need to be bringing other people to that well. And if they sprinkle, I'm all right with that. If they dunk, I'm all right with that too. Just as long as they drink of the living water. Just as long as they see that it's ultimately about Jesus, not about John the Baptist or anybody else. Um, and that's why we, we constantly want to do that. And so we learn when we read stuff like this. These disciples were jealous. But John the Baptist, he's not jealous. He's joyful. He's joyful that anybody's going to Jesus. Watch how he responds. He answered those disciples in verse 27. He said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. In other words, his view was that everything belongs to God. Nothing belongs to John the Baptist. That's our view here too, the village chapel. People aren't turf to us. I get calls all the time from people, and there's a little bit of a, you know, I mean, it's Nashville. We got more churches per capita than any other city, as far as I know, statistically speaking. So if people spin out the door and they're going off to another place, again, really happy they're going somewhere. Really happy they're participating. Maybe God's got a season for them in that church where they need to go and serve or go and learn or whatever. There are always new people coming in here at the Village Chapel. I mean, there are people in this room, I'm sure they haven't been here longer than a month or two or whatever. And so there's, there's always some of that going on. But we're just glad because they all belong to God. They don't belong to us. We're just glad to be a part of what God's doing. You yourself bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ. John the, this is John the Apostle quoting John the Baptist now. John the Baptist talking to his disciples and saying, to reminding them that, I, that he had already said, I'm not the Christ. I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. I, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is John the Baptist talking here. And what he's basically saying is, I really am thrilled that people are coming to the wedding and rejoicing over my good friend, the bridegroom, the one I've pointed out. I'm not the bridegroom myself. I shouldn't be sitting here thinking to myself, oh, I want that bride for me. No, that bride belongs to the bridegroom, is what he says. This is a great, really, it's a, it's a great little analogy. And, 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 and then to, to, to wrap it up and sort of give it its fullest interpretation, verse 30, Jesus must be on the increase. He must be the one whose ministry is growing, you know? And that's what this is all about. And I must decrease. I love it's too must. That's really absolute of him to say that. It's really okay that I fade to the back and Jesus moves to the front here. And that's, that's, he's exactly right. And I, I hope and pray that we always maintain that same view ourselves. Verse 31 through 36, um, some Bible commentators think John the Apostle takes over and speaks here. Others think that it's just John the Baptist continuing uh, to speak. You can believe either way. It doesn't matter to me. Um, he who comes from above is above all. Okay? He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. He says that above all twice. It's anothen in the Greek, and it, it's the same word he used when he said, he who is born again, anothen is again, it, 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 it could be translated, he was born from above. So it speaks not only of the nature, born again, but the source, born from above. Okay? And here the emphasis is really on the source. What John the Baptist is talking about is that, or, or John the Apostle, whichever one it is that's saying this, is that when Jesus, when you look at the source of Jesus, he came from heaven. He is above all because his source, his origin point is different than anyone else's. Now that's a bold claim to make about anybody. 
to say that they, I mean, did they come in a spaceship? How'd they get here, you know? There's a lot of ways you could try to imagine that whole thing. But whatever the means of him, his arrival, um, the important thing is that we know where he's sourced. He's sourced from heaven. That, what's, that's one of the things that makes Jesus so unique among all others who have ever lived. What he has seen and heard, verse 32, of that he bears witness. No man receives his witness. He who has received his witness, it's interesting, this sounds, almost sounds like a contradiction, a paradox, doesn't it? No man receives his witness at the end of um, um, verse 32 and verse 33, but he who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. What he's saying, really effectively, if I could just put it in other terms for you, is that Christ, when he speaks, is giving us sort of uh, a little bit of an insight into what hev- what the, the sort of what's going on in heaven. And the message from heaven is this. So he came from above. He came from the heavenly realm. And he's brought the message of what's been talked about in heaven. I love this, the, the thought of, you know, even when you think about you know, God and the, you know, the Trinity sitting around talking and the angels are Gabriel, Michael, and they're all kind of looking down there and go, there, oh, there, go, there, there goes them Israelites again. They just keep rebelling. All right, let's just keep sending some other people down there to remind them. Send some prophets. Send, okay, Elijah. All right, Elisha. Okay, send some more. You know, and then they just, as they watch from hev- the heavenly realm, I just wonder myself what they must be thinking about guys like us, you know? We just forget. We're like the dogs on the end of the leash that are just pulling as hard as we can, right? Away from God. <clears throat> you know, just away from God, away from God's ways, away from believing and trusting and hoping in God, thinking we got it right. <laughs> I got to get over there, you know? And that's just the way we are, you know? And what are they thinking in heaven? You know, what is the Lord thinking about me and how I, I'm so easily distra- distracted, so easily you know, derailed from my faith and find myself, you know, fearful and all that. And here he says, he who comes from heaven has seen and heard and he bears witness of what's going on in heaven. And then he draws a a, a distinction between those who receive the witness and those who don't. Those who receive it though, verse 33, they're the ones that come come up with the conclusion that God is true. You looking for truth in this world? Jesus will later claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not that he points to the way, the truth, and the life. It's that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Again, some really bold claims about the person of Jesus. Verse 34 through 36. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Is that you? But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So there's a belief. There's a kind of faith that's not just faith in faith. And it's almost like in our day and time, people are promoting faith in faith. You just got to believe, man. You just believe. And especially it's faith in yourself kind of belief. I don't know about you, but man, I've failed myself so many times. I just, I've kind of given up on belief in Jim. You know, I don't trust in me. I need outside help. Anybody else need outside help? At least mumble amen, if that's you. Yeah, I need outside help, man. And I have seen a lot of people try to be the source of their own salvation, but I just, they fail too, I'm sorry. And they annoy me sometimes too. 
And maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've seen that in me. Maybe I annoyed you. Maybe I disappointed you in some way. You know? The point is, humanity needs outside help. Humanity can't look inside and find the divine. You can find your capacity for the divine, that you long for the divine, that you want things to be right. You'll find that. And I'd suggest to you that even as we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, it's God that put that want in you. It's God that put that longing in you. That dissatisfaction with everything finite, that it's never going to do it for you. You can achieve much, accomplish much, acquire much, but still, for some reason, not satisfied. Why? Because God's put eternity in your heart. Nothing except God himself will ever satisfy you or ever satisfy me. And they're trying to remind us of that over and over again in so many different ways. What do we learn here? Well, I'm going to point to, I think, this central theme that I think both John the Baptist and the Apostle John are trying to get to. And we've kind of alluded it to, or alluded to it in our songs this morning as well. That Jesus is preeminent. What that means is he's above all. He's, the, he, he's, he's, the, he's unique in every way. Um, he surpasses all. He's not just one among many. We'll talk about this, actually, um, we'll have another Addison's Walk in December where we talk about um, the, the sort of Christian apologetics and think through a little bit. What does it mean that Jesus is unique and special or different in some way? We're going to look at that. And, uh, and here today, I think we've got a, a few hints to that. Number one, he is preeminent because of his point of origin. That is where he came from. And the Apostle John and John the Baptist wanted us to know about this. John's gospel is Christologically rich and thoroughly Trinitarian. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are mentioned throughout John's gospel. You're going to hear about all of them. So they're Trinitarian. There's a Trinitarian view of God. He is three and yet one. And it's a mystery. I can't really explain it in every way. Uh, analogies drop out and fail at some point. The closest one I've ever heard is the old H2O can sometimes manifest as, you know, ice or steam or water. But that fails too at some point. Um, God is one in essence, yet three in personality. And the Holy Spirit comes along, as we learned in the first part of John chapter 3. He comes along, and he's the one that brings us this birth from above. He's the one that regenerates us. He's the one that brings us to life spiritually. And then all of a sudden, we respond to God and repent and believe and trust and hope. And we are saved or born from above. Has that happened to you? Um, it's not always lightning and thunder. It's, it's, it doesn't always feel like an you know, upside-down kind of experience or a right-side-up kind of experience either. It's, it, does, it doesn't feel the same for each and every person. But the Holy Spirit moves when he wants to, where he wills, like the wind. And that was the description that, uh, that Jesus gave to Nicodemus, who he's talking to in our study last week. But his point of origin, Jesus' point of origin, is completely unique. He's from the heavenly realm. He was born to a virgin, Mary. That's not ever happened before. So that's one of the reasons why we hold to and believe that the Bible teaches in the virgin birth. It's important. Why? Because he, if he came from heaven, you would think his birth would be kind of unusual. 
And it was indeed unusual. Why did he choose that way? I haven't got a clue. I just know that's the way he did it. Now, how do you respond? You know, do you think Jesus is unique or not? Charles Swindoll says Jesus was not only undiminished deity, in other words, full deity, he was also in every way true humanity, subject to the identical feelings we have, whether it be joy or sorrow, fear or confidence, exhilarating ecstasy or sheer agony. The Apostle Paul would talk about Jesus this way. He would say he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, Paul says of Jesus, and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's a huge claim for the apostle Paul to make about anybody. But yet, John agrees with him. At the very beginning of John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Huge claim to make about Jesus. He's preeminent. There's nobody like him. And I'll tell you why that's really important in a minute or two. Jesus is preeminent. I think John the Baptist and John the Apostle both want to know that, that Jesus is preeminent because of his message, what he had to say. We're just told right here. He brought with him the message from the throne room of God. And the, the essence of that message is there is a God in heaven. Even though you haven't heard from him in 400 years, there hasn't been a prophet on the scene in Israel. There hasn't been a word from God for 400 years. Just know this. God's not finished yet. And then John the Baptist is, is calling out, here he comes. Behold the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sin of the world. And the message from Jesus is, God has heard your cries for mercy and salvation in heaven. And I'm here to bring that to you, you know? And it's not about you being good little boys and girls. It's a gift. He brings it uh, to you as an act of his grace. So there's so much about his message that makes Jesus preeminent. Then as well, he's preeminent because of his authority. One of the most remarkable things said about Jesus throughout the New Testament is when they talk about his authority. Matter of fact, I'll just throw a few up on the screen for you from Matthew. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. In other words, all the PhDs of the day in theology, on the ground, their scribes, didn't hold a candle to the authority that people, the common people, everyday people, heard when they heard Jesus teach. Okay? Then as well, from Jesus' own mouth, he said... Um, he spoke to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you see the difference between the way the common people understood the authority with which Jesus spoke, and then do you see his own self-understanding about the authority that he has? His view of himself was that God had given him all authority. Do you, again, do you understand how shocking this statement is? How Either he's a megalomaniac, sicko, that we should never listen to, or if it's true about him, we ought to sit up straight and pay attention to every word. And it makes him worthy of our trust if it's true. And if it's not true, we shouldn't trust him at all. We should burn everything ever written about him because he's a nut job. But if it's true, man, we've got all kinds of hope on the horizon. Mark's gospel 
They were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Luke's gospel, they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. The apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Um, Therefore God exalted him, meaning Jesus, to the highest place and gave Jesus the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, uh, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, That is a tall claim. The New Testament doesn't allow us to just say, yeah, Jesus was kind of one of those nice guys in human history. Or Jesus was one of those tragic hero figures. Oh, man, what a shame. Another good man down, you know. We should lament his death or we should try to emulate exactly who he was and and just be like him. No, it's a the claims of, about Jesus and of Jesus, all of them are ridiculously out of control, crazy, weird, insane claims unless they're true. And if they're true, we have every reason for great joy and for hope, right? Um, because this one who will be our judge, who was given all authority, to whom everybody will give an answer and every knee will bow, that same one wants to be your savior, wants to be my savior as well. N.T. Wright said of Jesus, and it is time, I believe, to recognize not only who Jesus was in his own day, despite his contemporaries' failure to recognize him, but also who he is and will be for our own time. So who is he for you? Who is Jesus Christ for you? What role is he playing in your life? What do you believe about him to be true? What level of hope and confidence have you put in him? What amount of joy do you find or delight do you find in him? Fourthly and finally, John the Baptist and John the Apostle, I think both want us to know about the preeminence of Christ because, because of that preeminence, he, we can trust our ultimate destiny to him. All right? You see what I'm saying here, right? Because he came from heaven and brought salvation with him, we can trust him. Because of his message and the authority with which he spoke, we can trust him. He backed up his talk with his walk. He laid down his life for you and for me. And then he rose again from the grave that makes him worthy of our trust. If he hadn't risen from the grave, I got to be honest with you, I wouldn't be here. I, I wouldn't have time for the Christian faith if Christ didn't rise from the dead. So when we sing Christ is risen from the dead, come awake, come awake. We are calling one another to an alertness, an awareness, and the opportunity to walk in the light of the the biggest thing that's ever happened since the fall. God reversed everything at the resurrection of Jesus. It's this amazing reversal. It's the beginning of a bright new hope for you and for me to find life in his Name, as John put it at the end of his gospel. Let me close with this quote from Keller. The emphasis on light and darkness comes from um, the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. In other words, it's not on the inside of you or me. Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus became mortal and died because we're too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us, so we must give ourselves holy to him. So how do you respond then to this one? 
Are you like John's disciples, jealous of the fact that Jesus is getting all the attention? Or do you want to sort of assert that, you know, your life, you're pretty good in your life. You're kind of balancing out the moral scales yourself. You're pretty sure you can get God to let you into heaven based on the fact that you got one more bean on this side than you do on that side. You know, or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're a Christian, you, you understand the grace of God, but for some reason you live as a legalist and you think it's all about you sort of performing well. And even your witness, is, it's down to that now. You just think, oh, I'm just going to live my life and I don't need to say anything. I'll just let, live my life and let people see the gospel on, on display. You think you're that holy? <laughs> I mean, wake up! I've looked in the mirror at myself. I'm not that holy. And I love you, but you aren't either. None of us are. Who can leave it to that? You know? That old phrase, go out and preach the gospel, use words if necessary. They're necessary. (laughs) Because I'm not holy, and neither are you. Okay? And uh, we need the gospel, the good news. That's one of the reasons we keep coming back to the word of God and study it and give it such high authority in our lives because we need not to sit in authority over it, but to allow it to sit in authority over us. We need to learn from it, submit ourselves to it, knowing all the while that it's not just religion as behavior modification. No, it's gospel. It's good news as heart and mind transformation. It's new life in Christ to whom all of the scripture points and finds its fulfillment in Jesus, this one that John the Baptist pointed to and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're here today. I have no idea where you're at spiritually. I have no idea what you're wrestling with in terms of temptation or sin. I have no way of knowing any of that. I just know my own struggles, my own doubts, my own wrestlings, and I have them too. But I'm here to invite you to this table to receive once again a fresh measure of the grace that God has on offer to you through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross when his body was broken and his blood was shed that he would satisfy a holy and righteous God and pay the price for my sin and for your sin. Who wouldn't want that? Why, why would you find yourself resisting that? If The only reason I can think of is if like John's disciples, you think this is about you instead of about him. We've got to come to the place, like John the Baptist, where we say, he must increase and I must decrease. This is counterintuitive for us in the culture in which we live. The culture in which we live, it is all about me, myself, and I. And the Christian faith is the complete opposite. It's, what does Jesus tell you to do with yourself? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And it leads to all kinds of crazy stuff, um, but it is awesome, and it's wonderful freedom to be following Jesus along the way, to be going out there and representing his grace, his mercy, his love, his kindness, his generosity to the watching world that's so desperate for it. It is so dark out there. It is so crazy out there. There are a lot of people really afraid, Um, and it and, and we see it everywhere. And there's fires, when there's, when there's violence, when there's r- wars and rumors of wars, when there are natural disasters. We all come to this screeching stopping point of considering our mortality for a moment. And it's in that moment that I just want to go, look at him. He's the lamb of God. Who would have thought a lamb 
could rescue the souls of men. Whoever would say, lamb to the rescue. I mean, mighty steed and stallion, you know, fighting Taurus the bull, yes, but a lamb, man. Yeah, that's, he came as a lamb. It's so crazy, it's got to be true. It's so wild. It's so inside out and upside down. And for those of you that have actually walked the way of a Christian pilgrim for any length of time at all, and you have come to the place of seeing, you know what, He's, Jesus is right when he says, I find my life when I give it away. I find my life in Jesus Christ, in trusting and hoping in him. I, I, I can no longer do this. But I don't want the attention of myself anymore. I, he must increase in my life. I must decrease like John the Baptist. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this good news, the freedom that it brings to us. It's paradoxical. It's hard for us to understand. But Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the wonder of its truth. Uh, Holy Spirit, lead us into the place where we see Jesus and see how preeminent and unique, completely other, above all, he is. And then give us the faith that leads to repentance. I pray that you would do that. Open our eyes to see the beauty in the, in, of his grace and mercy at work in our lives. The, the forgiveness that's on offer as we drink from the living water. As we come to this table, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use it as a means of grace in our lives. That you would renew those who are languishing now. That you would forgi apply forgiveness, fresh measure of forgiveness to those who so desperately need it who've come to the end of themselves for the hundredth time. Please, Lord, bring grace, mercy, and freedom as we come to the table and give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. Check back each week as we continue our study of the amazing truths found in God's Word. If you'd like more information about the Village Chapel or our library of audio podcasts, visit us online at thevillagechapel.com.